So hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got my usual sidekick, Dars. How you doing? Hey, what's up? All right, right? We're killing it here. This is a mm-hmm. double recording. We're getting into this full. We're doing it. We're in for the long haul tonight. Right? So we've got the John Wayne Gacy. This is part two. Let's jump right in. This is mm-hmm. a very, very heavy, very deep, very long episode, so we're not going to do any lead up we're just gonna jump back in and so just a quick recap at the end of part one we we talked about how he had just committed his first murder and what was his name that victim um so john wayne gacy had just committed his very first murder with a young man by the name of timothy mccoy that he'd picked up Mm -hmm. from a greyhound bus station in chicago The young man came and stayed overnight at Gacy's house, and Gacy claimed that he woke up with this young man standing over his bed with a knife and killed him from that. So, that's where we are. Gacy buried Mm -hmm. him in the crawl space. We described for the listeners what the crawl space sounded like, and that Gacy had this intense orgasm. So... Gacy claimed that he did not kill again until January 1974, and the body of this poor boy has yet to be identified, but he was strangled and kept in the closet for a bit before he was put into the crawl space, too. It wasn't until Gacy saw floods... Excuse me. It wasn't until Gacy saw fluids leaking from this victim's nose and mouth that he decided to begin stuffing rags in the victim's mouths, and sometimes he stuffed their underwear in there to prevent prevent them from staining his floors and carpets. So he was more concerned with flooring... Than mm-hmm. these poor individuals passing away in his house, which is just so incredibly creepy to me. And the next victim was killed July 31st, 1975. This was Lombard resident 18-year-old John Butkovich. This was also one of Gacy's employees, and he disappeared. And his car was later found with the keys, jacket, and wallet inside of this young man. And when authorities started looking around, they were told that Butkovich had confronted Gacy about back pay, but Gacy claimed he hadn't seen the boy, and the boy had probably run away. And I think this ends up being a common trend with Mm -hmm. boys and girls that disappeared during this time period. If they left, then they had run away. That was always what the authorities assumed first back then. It's, and especially given how Gacy was, like, a known commodity within the community, and he probably was friends with police, being with, like, a JC and being so involved. Yeah. So, like, he pro- they probably were just like, oh, okay, yeah, no, he wouldn't have done anything. And his criminal record has been sealed in Iowa. So, right. and, you know, there was no linked police system, no internet or anything back then. So no one probably knew anything about Gacy's criminal background. And so they had right. no reason to doubt him, no reason to distrust him. And certainly no reason to question his word when he told people, hey, this kid has run away. He's, you know, I, mm-hmm. I had a conversation. He was an employee at one point, but I have no idea what happened to him. And so they believed him. And let's see here. Bah, 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 bah. Over the next three years, Buckvich's family allegedly called the police over 100 times, telling them that Gacy was bad news and telling them to please investigate this guy over 100 times. Gosh. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Um, ultimately, though, Gacy had invited Butkovich back to his home, promising to hash out the wages issue. The two drank for a while before Gacy handcuffed the younger man and strangled him. He then buried Butkovich under the concrete floor of the garage because his wife and two stepdaughters had arrived unexpectedly back to the house. 
This was not his intent, but obviously these, you know, his family came home early and he didn't mm -hmm. know what to do and he kind of panicked and buried him near the garage instead of in the, the usual spot in the crawl space. And interestingly enough, though, is not long after this incident that Gacy got a divorce and he was free to commit murders without any interference of his family members, which mm. is even more creepy. It is around this time in 1976 that Gacy's Neighbors start to notice he was displaying erratic behavior as well. And I think some of this would not necessarily be considered that odd for us looking back at it now, but the neighbors did think it was very weird. He was staying up very late. He had a lot of young males around. There were a lot of lights on. There were, and I put in parentheses, nosy ass neighbors. Um, mm -hmm. But there was coming and going at all hours. I don't think I'd notice if my neighbors were doing it. I mean, I think I'd notice if they had a lot of, like, random people, unfamiliar people coming and going at all hours. But, like, if they were, like, the same people over and over again, I don't think I would pay any attention to that. Well, I mean, there's a lot of noise and things like that as well. And I'm going to kind of yeah. get into that in a moment. But I have to wonder how many of these were murder victims and how many he let go? How many of them were casual yeah. sexual encounters? It, it's not really well known on that but hmm. they also started noticing things like high-pitched screaming shouting crying and evidently none of them called the police during this time so you know that i do think i would notice yeah like seriously you hear screaming yelling yeah. and crying constantly and you don't call the police like i also think this is a period in time in history where neighbors tended to mind their own business they weren't quite as mm -hmm. nosy probably as they are now i think a lot of people are a lot more suspicious and are likely to call the police with a noise complaint I just right. don't think that was the case back then. I think it, people tended yeah. to mind their own business a little bit more. So this was upon interviewing later. They said they noticed these things earlier, but no one reported it. Gosh. And then one month after the divorce is finalized in 1976, Gacy nabs Daniel Sampson. This, or excuse me, he nabs Daryl Sampson, which is an 18-year-old from Chicago. Gacy buries this young man under his dining room in the crawl space again. Then five weeks later, he grabs Randall Raffet as he walks home from high school, which mm. is incredibly sad to me. This poor 15-year-old was buried with a 14-year-old named Samuel Stapleton, who vanished while walking home from his sister's apartment. These two were dumped in Gacy's crawl space as well and were considered to have probably been murdered on the same night. Wow. So this was an incident where... An instance where Gacy was not happy and satisfied with just one. He had to go kill yeah. two young men on the same night, mm. which is just so horrifying to me. And next came 17-year-old Michael Bennon. Michael Bonin, sorry. Next came 17-year-old Michael Bonin from Lakeview. He disappeared June 3rd from Chicago. Gacy strangled this one and buried him under his spare bedroom. Then, 10 days later, there was 16-year-old William Carroll, who was buried in Gacy's crawl space again. There were also three other victims buried there, too, between June 13th and August 6th, 1976. August 5th, 1976, there was James Hawkinson from Minnesota. He was murdered and buried along with 17-year-old Rick Johnson from Bensonville, and the two were also buried in the crawl space. Next came two identified males between August and October of 1976. Then there was Kenneth Parker and Michael Marino, who were killed together, probably on the same night as well. And 19-year-old William Bundy, who was suffocated mm. and buried under the master bedroom. 
The last one is thought to have been another employee of Gacy. So he definitely has a tendency to either pick up on or kill a lot of former employees, commit crimes against and them. And that's crazy. Like, at what point does anybody start re- recognizing, like, yeah, they used to work for Gacy and then they go to his house and then they disappear? Yeah. It, it just seems like there would have been more... Somebody looking into this a little more, yeah. more closely. But in any case, December 1976, 17-year-old Gregory Godzik, also one of Gacy's employees, disappears. When confronted, Gacy also claims Godzik had run away, which that's kind of his MO, right? Mm-hmm. To do something awful to these boys and then just say they ran away. But God- Godzik had also called Gacy and left a message saying that he was leaving according to what Gacy told authorities. But when they asked him to replay the message, he claimed to have erased it. So obviously there was enough for police Obviously, it was enough for police that he said this was a race. They let the matter drop. No one investigated it further. Done. So Gacy said that this kid called him and was like, hey, I'm running away. I'm leaving town. No, somebody told the police that he, this kid had called Gacy. And when they confronted Gacy and asked him, he was like, oh, yeah, but I accidentally erased it. Ugh. So they just let it go. No one investigated further. Wow. Which is pretty incredible, right? Then January 20th, 1977, John Syke is strangled in the spare room and an an unidentified adult male was also killed shortly after and buried in the crawl space along with 20 year old Michigan man, John Prestige. It also looks like Prestige worked with Gacy's construction company. And in the spring of 1977, Gacy killed another, another unidentified man and buried him in the crawl space. So Mm. right now, I don't really even know what the body count is up to, but, like, it seems like he's doing something literally every month, if not every week. Yeah. Then January 5th, 19-year-old Matthew Bowman was also murdered after being taken from a train station. And at the end of 1977, Gacy murders six more young men between the ages of 16 and 21. Gosh. Yeah. He's just going buck wild at this point. Yeah. Berserkers. So he also kills Robert Gilroy, who was the son of a Chicago police officer and who only lived four blocks from Gacy. And he also ends up in the crawl space and no one thinks anything of it. Strangely, Gacy was known to have been out of the state during the time when this last murder happened. And this little tidbit is thought to be one of the reasons that authorities suspected later Gacy had at least one accomplice in his murder spree whoa yeah and i'll kind of talk about that a little bit more in just a bit but 19 year old john maury disappeared shortly thereafter and gacy strangled this one and buried him under the master bedroom october 17th 21 year old russell nelson from minnesota disappears from chicago from a chicago bar he's also buried in gacy's guest bedroom and then November 18th, 20-year-old Tommy Bowling disappears as well after being picked up by Gacy at another Chicago bar. December 9th, 19-year-old David Talsma also vanishes. He was strangled by Gacy and buried in the crawl space. December 30th, the day before New Year's, 1977, Gacy grabs Robert Donnelly from a Chicago bus stop at gunpoint. So changing up the Whoa. MO a little bit. 
Yeah. Um, he takes this 19-year-old home, rapes him, tortures him, and dunks him in a bathtub repeatedly until he passes out. Oh, my gosh. So, like, he keeps reviving him, like, torturing him a little bit more, dunk him in the bathtub until he revives, let him up, torture him some more. This seems to be a very common thing for Gacy by that point. But he didn't murder that one. He actually dropped him off and told him that if he complained to the police, no one would believe him. So Gacy... I mean, he's got good reason to think that. He hasn't been caught yeah, yet. Yeah, well, he, it's interesting that he's starting to let them live now. And just, mm-hmm. he's so bold with it that he's like, I don't want to have to worry about having to bury it because I'm too lazy for this. So I'm just going to let him live after I torture him and rape him. Which is yeah. so creepy. Uh, by 1978, Donnelly went to the police and reported his assault. Police followed up with Gacy January 6, 1978. Gacy insisted the whole thing was consensual. Police believed him and no charges got filed. Unbelievable. Right? He's so prestigious by that point, so well-known, and so influential that the police were like, okay, you're good. Bye. Unbelievable. Meanwhile, February 1978, Gacy kills 19-year-old William Kindred and buries this guy in the crawl space, too. March 21st, Gacy grabs 26-year-old Jeffrey Rignall. He chloroforms this guy and puts him into a pillory device attached to the ceiling. And I believe this is just like a piece of wood with slots for the ankle. So he's kind of hanging from the ceiling while he's being tortured. Oh, God. Yeah. Just sounds awful, awful, awful. Gacy then raped and tortured this man while repeatedly chloroforming him. And then he dumped him in Chicago's Lincoln Park alive but unconscious. Oh, my gosh. So this Rignall guy reports the assault to the police, but... They didn't investigate Gacy yet again, right? Rignall remembers some critical facts about the case, though, and he convinces his friends to stake out some local places until they find Gacy's car. And they follow him home to 8213 Summerdale, and they call the police. They're like, hey, we got this guy. Mm -hmm. Come get him. So they get a search warrant and they arrest Gacy June 5th or they arrest Gacy July 15th, 1978. By 1978, Gacy's crawl space was full of bodies and he mm. had started to dump them off the I-55 bridge into the Des Plaines River. Did it not smell bad at his house? I can imagine it probably smelled horrific, but he was dumping I mean, lime over the bodies to block oh. the smell and to help the decomposition. Oh. Right? Okay. Later, Gacy claimed that five bodies, to be exact, were dumped in the year 1978. Only four were found. One was believed to have landed on a passing barge, according to Gacy. And that is How why, does that happen? That is why they never found reports it. that. I don't know. This just seems just so gruesome, so grisly, and just, yeah. I can't even imagine. The victims that were dumped into the river were 20-year-old Timothy O'Rourke, who's believed to have been connected with Gacy's construction company, 19-year-old Frank Landingen, and 20-year-old James Mazzara. And both were thought to be connected with Gacy's company as well. And then there was 15-year-old Robert Peast. When Peast didn't return to work, his family filed a police report. And this is when they connected Gacy as having talked to Peast. So they looked into Gacy's checkered past when they start to investigate the Peast case. And they find the battery charge in Chicago. As well as the prison sentence in Iowa for the sodomy of the 15-year-old boy. They just found it. Yeah. 
So Peace was oh, working, God. I believe, at a drugstore. And he had mm-hmm. had some conversation with Gacy before he disappeared into thin air. He supposedly took this break, left the shop, and then he never came back to work. And so they reported him missing at that point. But Do, do you want me to tell you what, what really happened? Not yet. Okay. Police questioned Gacy, and he denies that he had any knowledge of what happened to the missing 15-year-old, and he promises them he's going to come down to the station later since his uncle had just died. Okay. Hmm. So Gacy comes in at around 3.20 a.m., covered in mud, and claiming he'd been in a car accident. That, hey, this has been really bad, I was in this car accident, I was going to come in and do this, but I can't because I was in this car accident, and I'm going to come back later. He comes back later and continues to deny any involvement in Peace's disappearance. Police actually believe Gacy was holding this Peace kid against his will at his house in West Somerdale Avenue. So God, that's the first time they've ever believed that he wasn't telling the truth. So they get a search warrant December 13th. Now, yeah. it was later determined that Gacy was actually on his way in his vehicle to dispose of the body in the Displains River and got into a car accident at that time. And that was his actual oh. truth when he came to the police station all muddy and disheveled. He'd actually really been in a car accident, but it wasn't just an average accident where he's out hanging out at 3 a.m. He was disposing of the right. body at that time. It was wow. later determined. So, which is very, very creepy. Police looked at the search warrant, they looked at Gacy's house and they found badges, a pistol, a syringe, and a hypodermic needle, handcuffs, books on homosexuality, books on pedophilia, pornographic films, capsules of drugs, and an 18-inch sex toy in Gacy's bedroom. Jesus Which is Christ. just freaking horrifying that he tortured these people with that. They also discovered a 39-inch board with holes drilled in each end and bottles of various drugs to knock people out or incapacitate them. God, can you imagine, like, I think the first time I saw, like, a syringe or a hypodermic needle, I'd be like, mm, what is what is happening? And, you know, maybe they thought just because it was, like, one needle, that it wasn't a whole bunch, that, you know, maybe he had some kind of medical reason for having that. I don't know. But it seems like that would be uh, very, very, very suspicious. Yeah. And then he also has multiple licenses and a parka and underwear that would never have fit him. So they were way too small for Gacy, and they, mm. they found these items. They also found a class ring with initials J-A-S, a receipt, and a 36-inch section of nylon rope in a trash can. So hmm. there's some highly suspect stuff going on. Instead mm-hmm. of immediately arresting Gacy, though, they, when he appears suspicious AF, they put him under surveillance in a rotation for 12-hour segments with four different guys as they continue their investigation. So they want to cement this by finding more facts and details. So instead of arresting Gacy, they basically just put him under surveillance. Wow. Which seems really, really odd. But I guess, you know, with a high-profile person like Gacy who's maybe a little more affluent, they have to be sure before they arrest somebody like that because it could be a, a media PR nightmare for the police if they arrest him without reason, right? Right, that's true. Like, it would probably get out pretty quickly that, like, this pillar of the community's been arrested for this. Right, right. They really wanted to be sure that they were arresting him for all the right reasons. And he probably, because he was somebody in the community, like, he probably was friends with some high-up people in law enforcement, and they were probably just like, eh, we know where we can find him. Like, let's not cause him any extra hardship either. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't think anyone 
suspected the grisly and gruesome nature of what was really going on. Yeah. And I mentioned earlier, they just kind of suspected that he had peace at his house. He was just holding him kind of captive or whatever. There was, I don't think anyone suspected the true nature of what was going on Mm -hmm. at, at West Somerdale Avenue. Um, Uh, in the meantime, though, police are interviewing Jeffrey Rignall, Gacy's battery victim, as well as Gacy's ex-wife and others who might potentially be involved, including employees of his construction company. And they also trace the ring that they found in Gacy's house back to John Allen Syke, another man who'd never been located, who disappeared and vanished without a trace. Hmm. They linked that ring that they found in Gacy's house to this disappeared young mm-hmm. man. Gacy was taking the surveillance in stride and he was having meals and drinks at bars with the detectives that were supposed to be watching him. Clearly, he was extremely confident that he could lie or bluff his way out of anything because he'd gotten away with his crimes for so long, right? Yeah, yeah. He would, like, buy them McDonald's like Wayne Williams did. Yeah. He even went as far as to claim again that he was being harassed because of his political connections. So he's pretty much just saying anything he can to make people believe that he's completely innocent. Right. Yeah, you're a Democrat in Illinois in the 70s. Yeah, you're not being harassed for that. And also he had recreational drug use that he liked to do. And he claimed that he was being harassed for that as well. For I, I guess he was a big marijuana advocate, from what I understand. Yeah. And in the meantime, though, he begins thumbing his nose at the police. He starts speeding, running red lights. And he's extremely confident that they aren't going to do anything to him unless they find something very big. So he's thinking Mm -hmm. anything small he can get away with because they're not going to arrest him. Right? And in the meantime, though, police continue to question Gacy's employees and acquaintances. They're finding more and more information that is very circumstantial, but... A bunch of small circumstantial links can add to enough evidence to potentially arrest somebody, as we know from other cases. Right. But they also found fibers in Gacy's trunk, which they suspected were human hair. And they can suspect all they want, but I do not believe that they really had the technology back then to make positive identifications with things like that. I think they could probably identify it as human and say it was similar to the hair of a victim of so-and-so and so-and-so, but they wouldn't have been able to do like mitochondrial DNA right. or anything. So they're not going to be able to link it to the person who disappeared or to a dead person. Right. right? Yeah. So they can use it as a, a very circumstantial kind of a tool. Right. But they mm-hmm. really can't use it as something as direct evidence to be submitted to court. Mm-hmm. They also bring in sniffer dogs who indicate that Peace's body had been in Gacy's car at some point. And all the while, Gacy is laughing, drinking, dining, and having an, an awesome time with the surveillance team, living his best life. Okay. Mm. He's happy as a little clam. At the end of 1978, Gacy decides to file a $750,000 civil suit against the Displains Police Department. The audacity. Yeah. He's basically demanding if they cease their surveillance, saying that he's been unduly harassed and that he deserves to be paid $750,000. Now, the equivalent in today's money is like $7 million or something like that. I mean, it's an insane amount of money that he's asking for because he's saying he's being harassed. Oh, my gosh. But a few days later, one of Gacy's employees discloses the fact that he helped spread lime in the crawl space of Gacy's home in the summer of 1977. 
Hmm. So these guys that Gacy had employed so gainfully at one point are now starting to feel the pressure and they are beginning to spill the beans. Mm-hmm. And around December 19th, 1978, Gacy invites the surveillance team into his home, believing that he is in the clear and his civil suit will soon end the surveillance. Again, the audacity. Right. So he's like, come on in. One of the two officers distracts Gacy while the other goes to check on a TV set in Gacy's room that was thought to belong to one of the missing men. So the police are beginning to build this trail of circumstantial evidence and they're keeping it Mm -hmm. very close to the vest. So Gacy has no idea what they're actually looking for and just thinks they're just doing their normal surveillance job. But they're actually Mm -hmm. looking for stolen items or looking for items missing that were believed to have belonged to these young men that have disappeared. Now, when this officer goes to the bathroom, he can smell what he thinks is decaying human flesh coming from one of the heating vents. Oh my gosh, can you imagine the heat being on? (sighs) I don't know about you, but having been in this area, in the Midwest, in the winter, and in the spring, and in the summer, that would be horrifying. Yeah. You've got a sort of a situation where you've got the crawl space with the dirt underneath and occasionally an animal will die down there in Mm -hmm. these sorts of situations. I've been into homes in this area because we looked at a lot of houses and there were houses that we looked at for sale that smelled as though a dead animal was rotting somewhere Mm -hmm. in the basement of the house. I cannot imagine there being 30 dead bodies (laughs) decomposing. It sounds like it would be an atrocious smell. Now, granted, he is covering some of these bodies with cement, and he is making sure that he is covering them with lots of dirt and quicklime. Now, for mm-hmm. those of you who don't know what quicklime is, is it's sort of this blocks the odor, blocks the scent, and helps the body decompose very, very rapidly. So that this mm-hmm. once the liquids are gone from the body, it tends to smell a lot less. So this quicklime helps yeah. dissolve the liquids from the body, dry it out, and make everything smell less severe, right? Right. So in any case, this man is in the bathroom smelling all this nastiness coming from the heating vents. And you wonder to yourself, why didn't they smell this before when they came through with the search warrant, right? And evidently, the odor had not been detected because the heat wasn't on and it was cold. So when you have an instance where you've got bodies or something decomposing in hard ground, it obviously smells a lot less when it is freezing cold than when Mm -hmm. it is warmer and everything starts to kind of get all mushy and mildewy and and rotty and the liquids start bubbling up. But when it's cold, things tend to lose the moisture, dry up and freeze and smell less. Well, and it also slows down the rate of decomposition. Exactly. So... Yeah. So then you've got some of Gacy's employees stating that they believe bodies might be stored in the crawl space of Gacy's home. Wow. They say they don't know for sure, but they say that they suspect this is the case. And another employee describes the dimensions of the crawl space and states that on several instances, Gacy was extremely paranoid about this space and employees potentially being in that space. So the pressure is starting to build, as you can see. Mm -hmm. And Gacy 
goes to his attorney's office December 20th, 1978 for a scheduled meeting. He believes this is about his civil suit, the attorney does, and Gacy arrives very disheveled and asking for a drink. So something is clearly off. Something is wrong. Something has kind of turned the tide for Gacy. He begins to confess in a rambling manner the murders of numerous boys and men into the early hours of the morning. So Mm. at that point, you start to get a sense this is over. The killing spree is done. Gacy claims during this time where he's confessing to his attorney to have hidden numerous bodies in his house and in the crawl space. And he also says that he dumped five in in the Displains River. He downplayed his crimes, though, because he claimed the victims were sex workers, hustlers, liars, and cheaters, etc. Oh, so that's okay. Yeah. He somehow thinks it's justified if they are not like him, a businessman, if they are sex Mm -hmm. workers or hustlers. He said that sometimes he woke up to find them dead on his floor and he simply buried them because he felt responsible for them, even though he had no idea what happened to these young men. Sure thing. His lawyer, recognizing that this is extremely messed up, arranges for a psychiatric evaluation immediately. Mm -hmm. But Gacy is basically like, "Mm, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go out and do some work instead. He leaves. Gacy then runs various errands. He stops to say goodbye to friends and acquaintances. And even, you know, stops and passes off a little bag of marijuana to a gas station attendant. Keep that in mind for later. Uh Um, You know, I, I think he was trying to make this guy's life a little bit more pleasant and being someone who enjoyed the marijuana. He thought, okay, I'm going to go away to jail. So you might as well take this little bit of marijuana that I have, etc. Right. The police catch like tying up loose. Yes, the police catch that. Yeah. They see him giving the marijuana to the person. Put that in the back of your mind for now. So, additionally, though, police begin to think that perhaps Gacy might commit suicide, and that's why he's saying goodbye to all these people. And they mm-hmm. go ahead and they arrest him. Well, they get additional search warrants for his house. They arrest him on the drug charges for the marijuana. Okay, mm-hmm. because they think he's just going to go ahead and kill himself, and then we're not going to have any closure on this and they needed closure December 21st 1978 and this is right around Christmas time can you imagine how just horrific that would be to discover something like this at Christmas time Mm. no less the police executed the second search warrant they arrived to 8213 West Somerdale Avenue and discovered Gacy had intentionally flooded the crawl space with water to prevent the search of the area wow police are not deterred They simply plug in a sump pump and they wait for the water to clear in order to continue their search. So for a point of reference, this crawl space was 28 feet by 38 feet. So that's huge. It's basically the size of like a very large living room, right? Yeah. Okay. Not a bedroom, but like a very large living room. So it's the size of the the whole essential floor plan of one Mm -hmm. level of a small to medium size home. Mm -hmm. Okay. And within minutes of putting shovels into the dirt, they uncover bodies. And immediately they can feel that the space was probably filled with bodies in various states of decomposition. Oh my gosh. And I just can't even imagine. I, they probably had masks on. They probably were doing something to block off the smell because that had to have been horrendous. Yeah, but there's no way you could, like, block it out completely. December 22nd, 1978, Gacy gives a formal statement admitting to 30 murders. Some of them are referred to by name, 
others unknown, but he claims all were runaways or sex workers. Mm-hmm. So again, he is trying to downplay his responsibility and sort of maybe mm-hmm. mitigate his guilt. Now, Gacy had the help of employees who may or may not have known they were helping to conceal the bodies. This, I think, plays again into this sort of theory and this concept that he had accomplices or that other people helped in these killings. And I'm going to kind of get to that a little bit more detail in a minute. But Gacy planned to cover the entire area with cement January 1979. They got in there just in the nick of time because... If he had covered that area with cement, it would have been substantially more difficult to investigate this Mm -hmm. and to possibly find these bodies. And they may not have smelled any of the decaying flesh and gotten that second search warrant. Right? Gosh, could you imagine if they had never uncovered those? No, I can't. But um, Gacy indicated all of the locations where he'd buried or disposed of bodies. 26 of them were found in the crawl space. More were found elsewhere on the property. 23 victims were identified by dental records and signs were unearthed showing that the victims had been tortured before and bodies had been desecrated before, during, and after death. Most died of strangulation or asphyxiation. And Gacy's house was destroyed April 1979, not too long after these bodies were all discovered and brought to light. But this is some interesting stuff about the investigation and about these series of crimes. But During the official investigation, it was discovered that all 33 of the confirmed victims had been murdered on 8213 West Somerdale Avenue in a suburb of Chicago. So I don't know if people are aware of this, but all of them were in that house that we know of. Okay, and and I'm going to kind of address that in a second. But his typical MO was to lure victims into donning handcuffs. And saying that he was going to show them a cool magic trick. He would then rape and torture them before killing them by asphyxiation or strangulation or with a, a garrote. Okay. He typically liked to use a hammer for that to mm-hmm. tighten the rope or whatever was around the person's neck to strangle them. 26 victims, as I mentioned earlier, were buried in the crawl space and three elsewhere on the property. Four were dumped and confirmed to be dumped in the Des Plaines River, although that, there was that one that they claim landed on a barge and they've never found that body. Mm-hmm. The first conviction was in 1968. This was a 10-year conviction with 18 months served. This was in Waterloo, Iowa. He murdered his first victim in 1972 and two more by 1975. 30 victims were killed after the divorce from his second wife in 1976. So it wasn't until this period where he left his second wife that things really Mm -hmm. escalated to the point where he got very extreme with his killing. And he was arrested at the end of 78. Correct. So presumably had he served his full 10-year sentence, none of this could have happened. It probably would have happened later, in my opinion. But... Again, right, to your point, true, these, but, these mean, young men would not have been the victims. But right, Robert right. Peast was the disappearance that led to his arrest on December 21st, 1978, because his family was unwilling to let this go. They pushed for mm-hmm. investigation. They pushed for them to really get into looking and detailing what was going on with Gacy. And they, they suspected that Peast was at this man's property. And that was really the hope mm-hmm. that he was still alive. And it wasn't until later that they discovered the body of this young man. But much of Gacy's construction company was high school students and young men. He often propositioned these young men 
in exchange for cars, cash, money, etc. He wanted sexual favors from them and offered them things like cars and cash, etc. for this. His usual MO was to ply victims with booze and drugs as well. Then they often show were shown magic tricks or some sort of clown routine. Again, the clown killer. Mm-hmm. And then he would cuff his own hands, unlock them with a sort of hidden key. This was his sort of handcuff trick. He used it to subdue the victims, and he would get them into the cuffs as well, and he would sit on their chest, force them into oral sex, and then torture them. He would sometimes burn them with cigars. He would make them pretend to be a horse while he sat on their backs. And I can't imagine how painful that would probably be as well, because he was a big man. He wasn't little. And he would often sodomize them with foreign objects or sex toys, and he would cuff legs to manacles, and he would also partially drown some in a bathtub repeatedly and revive them to prolong the assault. God. Yeah. And then he would put ropes around their neck and tighten it with a hammer handle. He called this his rope trick. Some of them died by asphyxiation due to clothes being stuffed down their throats. And all but two victims died between the hours of 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. I wonder how they determined that. I don't know, but maybe the police were... Maybe just what he said. Maybe the police were right about that 10 p.m. curfew. Yeah, for real. But after death, Gacy usually stored his victims under his bed for roughly 24 hours before burying them in his crawl space. He then poured quicklime and hastened the decomposition. Some were taken to the garage to be embalmed before burying them. So Mm. that is horrifying. He practiced what he learned at the mortuary to sort of help the decomposition of these bodies along. Gacy's media circus of a trial started February 6, 1980. And he was officially charged with 33 murders at that time. The trial was supposed to be conducted in Cook County, Illinois. The jury was selected, though, from Rockford, Illinois, which is my new hometown, because the press coverage in Cook County was thought to have been absolutely chaotic and they didn't think they could find jurors there. They were unbiased. Can you imagine? And Cook County is Chicago, right? Yeah. 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 Can you imagine though? I mean, they didn't have social media back then. They didn't necessarily even have news coverage of this on television. This was media coverage in newspapers and newspapers only and possibly magazines, but mostly newspaper coverage. It's wild to think that there's a, like, just a couple hours away that there were people that didn't hear about this at all. So potentially my neighbors here could have been yeah. jurors in the Gacy trial. I mean, there's some older, Ooh, you should go ask. Them. There's some older people in this neighborhood that potentially could have been jurors for the Gacy trial. You should go around and ask your neighbors if they were Gacy. Right? Jurors. It's just crazy. But in preparation, that wouldn't freak them out at all. <laughs> probably. They would probably be like, who are you? And why are you knocking right. on the door? And asking about crimes like Gacy, the John Wayne Gacy. But I think people in this area know about him. I think he's inf- infamous. And I think mm-hmm. that there, uh, you can't go very far without people knowing who this person is in this area. Right. Mm-hmm. But in preparation for his trial, Gacy spent about 300 hours undergoing exhaustive mental tests. And he initially tried to claim he had multiple personalities, which is not surprising to Mm. me. Um, I think there were points where he stated that he thought he blacked out and then woke up and the person was dead. And I think that he pled not guilty by reason of insanity and multiple experts testified to this. Okay. Testified on his behalf. Yeah. For insanity defense. Okay. Prosecutors claimed this was all a ruse and that he was actually fully sane as evidenced by his efforts to escape detection, his planning, and his premeditation. 
Mm-hmm. So Gacy, like I said earlier, he spent three hours undergoing exhaustive mental tests and he found medical professionals that would testify to his so-called insanity, mm-hmm. at least temporary insanity, which I don't understand how you could have any kind of temporary insanity when it was 33 times, right? And and you you go to so such great lengths to cover it up. Exactly. Too. And that's what the prosecution was saying. Like, if you're planning all this and you're doing all these different things to escape detection, you are not mentally ill. You are very sane and cognizant of what you were doing. And so you need to accept responsibility for that as well. But Gacy's team also attempted to say all 33 of his victims had died of autoerotic asphyxiation during rough but consensual sex play. Um... Yeah, no. Absolutely not. Mm-mm. Not not thirty three one maybe Mm-mm. but thirty three absolutely not it just it just yeah. blows the mind what sort of lengths these individuals went to to try to get Gacy off the hook right but some of Gacy's victims testified and some of or excuse me some of Gacy's surviving victims testified some were unable to due to extreme mental distress and I I, I cannot imagine I can't either if I was a victim I have no doubt I would not be str- yeah. I wouldn't be strong enough to get up on a stand and recount that or relive that mm-hmm. sort of thing I just no thanks um, Gacy tried one less attempt to exonerate himself by writing a personal letter to the judge requesting a mistrial the audacity this guy this just is unbelievable to me the just the sheer cojones this guy had on him to Uh do something like that among the reasons that he suggested he should have a mistrial were one he didn't approve of the insanity plea which doesn't make any sense since he tried to say he had multiple personalities at several points number two he wanted to testify and wasn't permitted to Again, the audacity of this man, thinking Mm -hmm. that had he testified, he would have been off the hook because he's just that smooth. Three, there were not enough medical witnesses that were called, which, are you kidding me right now? I'm sure there were probably dozens of them called during this trial. I wish I could see the transcripts on this this sucker. That would be awesome. And then number four, the police were lying to frame him. Okay, so which is it? He's saying like those are all the those true. are all the reasons that he deserves a mistrial, and it's basically the, essentially like throwing a bunch of spaghetti on the wall and, and hoping uh-huh. that a few noodles stick enough to get a little meal out of it. But the defense tried one last ditch effort to say that Gacy was a danger to both himself and others, and that studying his mental condition would benefit science. So we got to keep this guy alive. He is a boon to science. We need to study him. I can get my head around that argument, but I can't, not if, if the alternative is like acquitting him. Yeah, no. Like, that's no. not an option. I think that they were implying that he would go to a mental asylum and yeah. they would continue to study him there, which, no. Um, the jury deliberated just two hours before finding Gacy guilty of all 33 charges wow. of murder and also guilty of sexual assault and taking indecent liberties with a child. God, two hours is, like, barely long enough to even go through all the charges. I think there was no doubt in anybody's mind that Gacy was guilty AF. At the time of his conviction, though, this was the most murders a person had ever been convicted of in the U.S. And this has since Mm -hmm. been wildly overtaken by numerous individuals. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go into names because they don't really deserve the credit for something so macabre. But um, Gacy was sentenced to death. And after an additional two hours of deliberation, 
And the execution date was initially set for June 2nd, 1980. So they were like, let's do this. They were all in it. Whoa, that's really fast. Yeah, which I think that we all understand that taking something to the death penalty phase in the early 60s and 70s could go pretty rapidly. But Mm -hmm. this particular case did not go rapidly. Gacy was taken to the Menard Correctional Facility Center where he lived on... Excuse me. Gacy was then taken to the Menard Correctional Center where he lived on death row for 14 years while his appeals Mm -hmm. played out. So this one did stretch out. Gacy did a ton of interviews between 1979 and 1981, and then he sort of stopped after 1981. But on one occasion in prison, Gacy was attacked by another inmate. He survived this attack, but was treated for superficial wounds to the head. During his years on death row, Gacy spent his time reading legal books and filing multiple motions and appeals none of these were granted Mm -hmm. so i I can imagine this guy probably thought he was pretty hot stuff when he's looking at the legal books and thinking he understands Mm -hmm. all the law and all the reasons why he should be innocent but during this time he continued to claim his innocence saying the murders had been committed by various employees who had keys to his house and had done all this while he was away conducting business And again, I think this kind of plays to the conspiracy theory that there were multiple accomplices for Gacy. And I do believe that there may have been accomplices or at least people who knew and suspected. I cannot imagine as an employee that you were putting quicklime into a space beneath a house and not suspecting or smelling decomposing flesh. I just have a very hard time believing these young men that assisted him didn't know. I wonder if he told him it was, like, animals, though. I don't know. But I'm not saying that these young men killed themselves, but I feel as though perhaps Gacy killed and then used these young men to help cover it up. Yeah. But, again, that's my personal theory. Um, May 9th, 1994, Gacy was transferred one last time from Menard Correctional Center to the Statesville Correctional Center for Execution. And his family was allowed to have one last private picnic on prison grounds. Can you imagine a picnic? They get one private picnic with his family on prison grounds. So they were allowed to just, you know, have a little picnic basket and bring his family in and have some privacy. And and no, that doesn't happen now. That was crazy. No, but he ordered a bucket of KFC chicken. Yum. Um, (laughs) some fried shrimp, some French fries, fresh strawberries, and a Diet Coke. Like, that Diet Coke part. Uh, I don't know why, but I always remember the strawberries. Yeah, but I remember the Diet Coke. It's like, you know, you yeah. just have fried shrimp and French fries. You're about to die. Go for the full, all sugar. Go for the regular All sugar. <laughs> all sugar, yeah. all the calories, because you're going to die anyway. Um, in any case, he confessed one last time to a Catholic priest before going to execution. He went into the death chamber for lethal injection. At one point, one of the tubes got clogged and the window blinds were drawn. Yeah. Ten minutes later, they were raised again and the procedure took approximately 18 minutes from start to finish. Evidently, his final words were, you want to take a guess? I don't know. Kiss my ass. Oh. Yeah. What a guy. Uh, Yeah. Classy till the end. Mm-hmm. Gacy was confirmed dead at 12.58 a.m. on May 10th, 1994. His body was cremated, and they removed his brain. That part was preserved to attempt to sort of isolate common traits of sociopaths. And I think mm-hmm. you had mentioned to me earlier when we spoke about this that a neurologist has his brain. Yeah, there's a neurologist or a neuroscientist who has his brain or did have his brain and dissected it. Um, and I read a, an article or something by her 
Um, and basically she met with him quite a few times before he died. And then he gave her his brain to study after he died. And I don't, I really don't remember the outcomes of it, but why I, find um, that so I just creepy. thought that was so fascinating just, that she met with him so many times. So creepy. Can you imagine yeah. being her and having to like sit with this guy? I think she's done that with a few serial killers, but off the top of my head, I don't remember. Yeah. Well, in any case, it seems gross, but Unfortunately, mm-hmm. unfortunately, only 27 of Gacy's victims were positively identified. The youngest, wow. the youngest victim was 14 and the oldest was 21. So he really had a very specific type that he liked mm-hmm. and a very, very narrow age group that he also enjoyed. But in October 2011, the Cook County Sheriff's Office announced a full DNA profile had been obtained for each of the individual victims that were buried in the crawl space. They then asked for volunteers to come forward and provide DNA for anyone related to males missing between 1970 and 1979. Mm -hmm. So far, two have been identified and numerous others have been ruled out. I think these DNA samples provided thus far have ruled more people out than they have, you know, provided. But in any case, that has got to provide a, a slight bit of relief to some of the families who thought perhaps their young sons and brothers and and relatives had ended up being one of Gacy's victims and discovered that they had not. And maybe there's still hope that they're out there somewhere. Yeah. Like on the one hand, they were not a victim of John Wayne Gacy, but on the other hand, you still don't know where they are. So it's like a mixed bag kind of a thing. But in 2011, William Bundy and James Huckison were identified from those DNA profiles that were later obtained. This means six victims are still unidentified five from the crawl space and one near the barbecue pit in Gacy's backyard. When Gacy was arrested, it was suspected that there could be as many as 45 victims, but to date only 33 have been positively confirmed. Mm. And when asked whether there were more victims, Gacy calmly replied, that's for you guys to find out. So he really kind of refused to elaborate on that, to provide any additional information. He left it kind of up in the air. I think he may have been hoping that they would keep him alive long enough to try to um, bribe officials with providing more details for possible additional victims. I personally have a very hard time believing that there were only 33 victims and that he only killed the 33 at that one location. I, I feel like there had to have been more. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if we if we found out later that there were victims in Iowa, you know. Yeah. In any case, other areas around Chicago have been searched since this whole thing went down and they have not yielded any results. As for the potential accomplices claimed by Gacy, um, living victims claimed they saw other men and others specified possible possibly that they saw men that did not look like Gacy that were involved. Um, they were mm. in the house that were at the crime scene when the surviving victims were tortured, raped and abused. But I think there's a lot of hearsay, like so-and-so heard so-and-so say there was another mm-hmm. victim, that sort of thing, which you can't really necessarily use as evidence. And it, right. additionally, Gacy's travel records indicated that he wasn't in Chicago during some of these murders. So they go back and they look at his records, which I think back then, I don't, it wasn't computer records. It was probably written records in a journal somewhere, which could easily be falsified, um, changed 
maybe he was wrong, maybe he was mistaken, maybe he wrote these down later as a means mm -hmm. to kind of excuse himself and maybe perhaps try to exonerate himself. I, I'm not so sure that his travel records can be a reliable form of anything, but to date, right. to date no additional perpetrators have been arrested. During his time in prison, Gacy was known to paint, and I think a lot of people know about his pictures, his clown pictures, mm -hmm. as Pogo or Patches. These are pretty infamous. He was actually initially permitted to earn money from these pictures until about 1985. I believe this is when the Son of Sam legislation yeah. came into play. And um, he claimed that his artwork was intended to bring joy to people's lives. The pieces sold... Yeah, right. Yeah, the pieces sold from anywhere from $200 to $20,000. Oh, my God. But some family members of the victims publicly burned his paintings after his execution, which, Good. you know, is gross. I, this is a very, very troubling case to me. Again, as I mentioned earlier, I do not believe that this was the extent of what he did. I don't believe it was just 33 victims. Uh, mm -hmm. I think there have to be more out there in Chicago, out there in Iowa and other areas. I don't think it would be that difficult for him to hide them, bury them. And he had a construction company. Right. He could have buried them in cement, in planters, in foundation yeah. of buildings, and they would never be discovered. Uh, have you read the book that his defense attorney wrote? I have not. What What was the the book? I believe it's called Defending a Monster, and it's by Sam Amarante. Um, is that on Amazon? It is on Amazon. Um, and did you read it? Yeah, John Wayne Gacy, Defending a Monster, and I read it. It's been a couple years since I read it, but the thing that I remember stick, sticking out to me is that his lawyer very much believes that whether or not this was an ins an insanity defense, you know, he doesn't really commit to, but his lawyer genuinely believes that Gacy blacked out. Yeah. And that in some kind of way, he's not necessarily not responsible, but like he does believe that he blacked out and was like not fully aware of what he was doing. That's so creepy. Because he says, so yeah, creepy. because he says when he confessed to him in his office, he saw that him as like eyes glaze over and he got the sense that he like wasn't all like there with him in the room, you know. And he said he was at his execution, and he said the same thing happened then too. Oh wow! It's like he kind of like goes to a different place, which is really, really, really creepy. Yeah. And I just remember that always stuck with me. I don't know. I definitely think he was mentally ill. Like to, to what mm -hmm. degree? I, I I don't necessarily know. I just don't think that, uh, you know, in my opinion that you know science and and whatnot was advanced enough back then to really do a thorough analysis and to try to figure him mm -hmm. out in in a more complex way um mm -hmm. and i it is what it is though he's gone now and thank good riddance thank goodness yeah. like he was, this was an evil evil person and i have no doubt that he was guilty of most of the crimes and if he was only guilty of a couple of the crimes that there's still enough reason to provide justice and have him be gone from this world yeah yeah i mean I, to me i think i agree with you i think 33 probably is low um it's like i feel like with with serial killers like we never actually know the real number you know what i mean no. like and they, they want to keep it one or two that they yeah they all there's always one or two that they're not proud of or something went wrong or they want to keep secret i mean there's always something and i and I just, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere down the road we found that there were more bodies. And I really, really hope that it so someday we're able to identify these six kids. Yeah, I mean, it's just, my to me, that's the saddest part of it, that these young men lost their lives. They don't even know their names, their family, mm -hmm. their families have no closure. 
and you know yeah. they're still out there believing that perhaps their their son or son is alive and yeah it's just an awful awful, awful awful thing yeah but um do you have anything else you want to add no nah. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up the episode for the day then. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our little podcast if you enjoy what we're doing. This greatly helps us in our rankings online, and it helps us to reach more potential listeners who want to hear what we are providing in the true crime community. We like to believe that we're a little bit different from a lot of other podcasts in that we have a legal professional and, a, and a, somebody who has some knowledge of biomechanics a great deal of knowledge of biomechanics, um, a PhD in that particular area that provides a lot of insight medically for some of the things that happen in the cases that we cover. But if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for us, or if you'd simply like to recommend a topic that you would enjoy us covering, please feel free to shoot us an email at the podcast at gmail.com. We will put that into the show notes as well as all the references for the articles and whatnot that we use for the show today. There are quite a few of them because this is mm -hmm. a more common case. There's a lot of stuff online. So there's a lot of resources. You can check those out in our show notes. Darcy, social media, please. Yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So we'll post show notes. We'll post pictures and all that good stuff there, too. Yeah, you can go check those out. We'll put up a few pictures of the house and some of the victims and whatnot um, for this case. And some pictures of Gacy as well as the clown, which are super creepy. In the meantime, though, please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.